Welcome to Work Beautifully, a podcast brought to you by Dialpad that discusses growth, learnings, and pitfalls to avoid in business. Founders, thanks for joining us on the Dialpad podcast series. In this season, we're going to get answers to top questions that startups have. Dialpad for Good is committed to helping startups, underrepresented founders, and nonprofits through providing 10 free licenses, Dialpad Talk, and Meetings for Life. To learn more about our programs, please visit dialpad.com slash dialpad for good. Startups, welcome to the second episode of the Dialpad for Good podcast series. Today, we're joined by Jordan Jokas. He's a co-director of the Founder Institute in Toronto Waterloo. He's a venture partner at Riverwise Ventures and also the co-founder of Artblock, which is an art NFT platform. Really great to have you on the podcast today, Jordan. Can you start by just telling us a little bit about Artblock? Yeah, buddy. Hey, so yeah, I'm Jordan Jokas. Yeah, I mean, we kind of came together uh, really quickly. I mean, a lot of people are trying to get into the NFT space. Um, we were already involved with an art startup. You know, we'd already been in it for about a year. And then we kind of came to a bit of a wall where we realized that in order for us to kind of realize the vision with that project, we would just need an enormous amount of capital in order to be able to make it actually happen. And so then NFTs came along. And so, you know, we've really been doing a deep dive into that. We got into Creative Destruction Labs and their blockchain stream, which I think is, you know, one of the best higher educational incubator accelerators really on the planet. Um, the mentorship is fantastic. I mean, one of the key mentors is a guy named Scott Sternetta, who was basically the co-founder of blockchain. If you read the Satoshi Nokomoto white paper, where um, they talk about the concept of Bitcoin, I mean, Scott Sternetta was uh, sourced in it three times. So, you know, really good mentorship. And it, so it's kind of cool. We're kind of on, it feels like maybe the internet back in 1997, where, you know, a lot of these projects are probably going to be gone in a couple of years, they're going to be worthless. But some of them are going to go on to become um, just, you know, real juggernauts of the future of finance. Yeah, that's really cool. CDL, great, great, great incubator um, out of the University of Toronto. And I know that they've uh, expanded their reach globally. And uh, NFT, super interesting space to be in. A lot of huge funds getting created in that space now. Exciting time to be in crypto. So anyways, uh, let's hop into the topic of discussion for today. And uh, we're going to talk about, does the customer care? Top 10 tips to start up a startup successfully. Awesome. Let's do it. All right. So first question is, where have been the best sources you've seen for startup ideas? Well, first of all, you got to get out of the building, right? We're, you know, in art tech. So we're at Art Basel right now. We're in Miami. We're talking to people, collectors, artists, all sorts of things. And so, yeah, I mean, you need to figure out what the problems are and what the potential solutions are. So getting out of the building, number one. But for us, just in terms of, you know, let's say Founder Institute and looking for new startups. I mean, if I'm looking at one place, I think it's hackathons. I think hackathons, you know, it's amazing because here you got these hackers, you got hustlers, visionaries all coming together. They're really passionate about the projects that they're working on. They're coming to the projects, working on it for free. I mean, I just came out of a hackathon with ETH Global called Web3 Jam, and, you know, it's 10 days. So the projects that are being put together in 10 days are pretty fantastic, really. And, you know, these are ideas on the cutting edge, really pushing the boundaries, talented teams of developers, UX, UI designers, business students, like everything that you want 
a startup to really be. So, I mean, really, what more can you ask for? And the amazing part is the fact that, you know, there's not a lot of people looking for deal flow at these hackathons at all. Sometimes nobody. And so it's kind of a blue ocean if you're looking for deal flow in many ways, right? And, and on top of that, like a lot of times the projects are served in a way that you can just click through them, look at them. There's videos, like it's, it's perfect. You know, and an example of that opportunity would be Dapper Labs. I mean, Dapper Labs started with a, basically an Ethereum hackathon in Waterloo. And their project was CryptoKitties, which you probably heard of. And then that led to them starting to get, you know, some pretty cool projects on the go, like Top Shots. And, you know, now they've just raised uh, over $680 million and they're valued at over $7.6 billion. So, you know, you could have got in early as an investor with Dapper Labs had you been tuned into, let's say, the hackathon circuit. And so, yeah, I think a great place for people to start would be looking at hackathons and getting involved in hackathons. Yeah, absolutely. And a great place to find co-founders as well as hackathons. Um, yeah, there's totally. a lot of, a lot of great programs out there. I know what you're doing at FI is a, is an awesome platform to introduce your idea to potential co-founder as well as investors. So that's something we just want to shout out here as well. Um, and just on the subject of getting out of the building, do you find a lot of entrepreneurs, they spend way too much time researching things on the internet versus going out and actually talking to customers? Yeah. And that's like the biggest thing that we see with startups in terms of, I mean, really being successful or failing. I think to be a successful startup, you need to eventually transition from being a dreamer to a doer. So, I mean, I kind of call it the leap of faith, but you know, the best example of that is in that hesitation is a lot of incubators, right? Or, you know, if you look at campus incubators, for example, a lot of the times the startups are competing. Well, the startups should be competing for customers. But the reality is a lot of times they're competing actually against the startup in the garage right beside them, right? And so they're competing to build the most beautiful technology that they can possibly think of. And the challenge is, is that, you know, they get separated away from the customer and the customer problem in solving that. And, you know, the challenge of that is, is that they end up producing a product that is, um, just not in tune with what the customer wants. It just becomes basically garbage, you know, and a famous example of that would be, let's say Theranos, you know, and the founders on trial right now. And so I think, you know, that's a massive example of, you know, just not listening to the customers and just making assumptions in, and then really just running with it. And so, yeah, I think to be successful, you need to know the industry cold. You need to know the problems of the customers and then you need to chase that. Thanks, Jordan. Appreciate that. And uh, that's some good feedback uh, for startups that are looking to get out there. And just on that note, you know, what are some good ways to go about finding potential customers to reach out to? A lot of people just go to LinkedIn. Um, obviously, we're not going to get into talking to just friends and family because that's frowned upon. But let's talk about finding real people that potentially could sign you know, a check and sign up for your product and get you some money in the door. Yeah, I think I'm really bullish on trade shows. Now, that's part of the reason I'm, I'm somewhat biased because, you know, our family business started as farming. Like, I'm a farmer by trade. And then we kind of turned in the, the family farm business basically into a trade show. And then we scaled that up to, 
I mean, one of the largest uh, agricultural trade shows um, on the planet and like by square footage, one of the largest trade shows, period. And so I'm a little bit biased towards trade shows. But, you know, I think it's one of the fastest ways to validate with customers and get in front of them. So, you know, to because the when you go to a trade show, the customers want to be sold. That's the reason why they're there, especially if it's an industry trade show. And so it allows you to really quickly pivot your sales pitch. I mean, put something out there, see if it works, you know, because a lot of times the sales pitch needs to be a sentence as someone walks by, right? And so like, if you're looking at kind of like the long tail and, you know, the things that would appeal to them, you know, you're kind of taking that aspect of the long tail because, you know, if you need to educate a market and you're the first ones going in, you need to find out what really resonates with them. Like what problem is really going to unlock something enough that they're going to come and pay and get on board with a company that like, you know, doesn't have an enormous amount of security and who knows what the future holds. And so I think customers and getting in front of them at trade shows really helps. And I find that, you know, a lot of tech startups I find, you know, think that it's a waste of time. It's like, well, you know, we need to be doing online ads and we need to do online conversions and things like that. We don't need to get into the customer's face in a physical standpoint, but I totally disagree. I think like there's a lot of luck that comes when you go to a trade show and you start getting in front of investors and and customers. Cause like, you know, you may find opportunities that you never even know. So like, you know, I, I know startup that we're just dealing with that, they went to the trade show. They had a lot of luck. They onboarded a lot of customers. They got about like hundreds of signups for a product that isn't even developed yet. But the most interesting is that like they actually had some of their competitors come up and offer to buy them. And it's because they realized that like some of the traction that they were looking for, they didn't have. And this startup had it. And so I think, uh, yeah. I think going to where the customers are, where the party is, is the best way to do it. Yeah, that's great advice and a good way to hit uh, a bunch of target customers in one place. And next part of our, our questions here are all about that. So when you have interest, when you have your target customer figured out and you know what you're trying to sell now, what kind of goals should you be setting and what should the follow up look like in order to close these deals? Yeah, I think the, um, well, I mean, I'm a big fan of documenting processes. So like as you're developing, trying to, let's say, use a uh, Google slide doc to be able to um, go in and start to like track your process, because it can also then be kind of the foundations of a pitch deck as well, right? I'm a little bit biased towards Google slides just because I really like the collaboration aspect of it and you can just easily go in and it's accessible anywhere. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, to have, let's just call it a sales playbook, you know, is really important. And I think the challenge is that they're really hard to find. Like if you look online and just type in sales playbook or tech sales playbook, there's not a whole lot of examples. And it's because in many regards, they're the most cherished aspect of a company. And it's because, you know, without sales, your company is nothing. You can have the best tech on the planet. But if you can't sell it, then it's useless. And so that sales playbook becomes like a really important component of the company. And there's just not a whole lot of examples. If you're a bit of a historian, though, you could look at David Ogilvy. 
the first kind of book that he put out was called The Theory and Practice of Selling the Aga Cooker. So just as a warning, you know, it's not very woke. It was written in 1935. There's some very sexist aspects to it. But regardless, it was one of the first sales playbooks that were ever created. And if you've heard the name Ogilvy, David Ogilvy went on to form his own ad agency. He then partnered up with Mather and it became Ogilvy and Mather. Now it's Ogilvy and Ogilvy is now one of the largest ad agencies on the planet. But what's interesting about the playbook is that, you know, it's a, so Aga, if you're familiar with it, uh, is basically a, a cooking stove that like runs all the time. And it's great in England because like you got also ass as a bit of a furnace. It's in a really hot location. It's terrible because it's like a heat source and you need to air condition your whole home. So it's not very environmentally friendly sometimes. So that's a whole other discussion. But they figured out tech solutions for that, by the way, to shut it off. But what's brilliant about it is that, you know, it was a roadmap for traveling salespeople that were going door to door on how to convert. And it was like all the scenarios of like, if this happens, this is what you do. And like tips and tricks and all sorts of different things. And it, the reality is, is that it, um, you know, it still has relevant components in today's tech sales environment. And so I think, um, you know, it's something really cool to look at. And I think it, you know, and, and then if you can find tech sales books or tech sales playbooks that are out there, then yeah, I mean, cherish them and, and don't ever lose them and archive them somewhere because they're, yeah, they're just really rare. Thanks, Jordan. Yeah, in my experience as well, I found a lot of the founders that I worked with easily. One of the most important things in their arsenal was the tech sales playbook for sure. And a shout out to the AC and, and their team. I know that they have some mentorship there that works really hard on helping founders develop those. Um, just on the next subject here, Jordan. So big, big thing with startups is really putting too much time into product and overdeveloping product. And I just wanted to get your opinion and based on what you've seen, you know, when is the right time to transition from building something that's usable to something that's fully functional? And does that tie into any of those customer conversions that we just were talking about? Yeah, I mean, I like the, the software concept of like dog fooding. So like eating your own dog food building for yourself, you know, the concept of like the cardboard founder. So like hacking together solution with cardboard and like just getting it out as opposed to like trying to build the final product. You know, I'm coming from an advertising background. I mean, I started in advertising, I'm working for clients and in an advertising agency, the attitude was always perfect is better than now. Right. And so like we would always try and perfect what we were building internally and then when it was as perfect as we could possibly get it then we would start introducing it to the client there would be revisions and then when we put it in the market it would be even better than we had imagined challenges is that you know that just doesn't really translate into the startup world and so the concept in the startup world is now is better than perfect and that concept for a lot of people is really difficult to learn and to put into practice and i think you know, but that's the unlock, you know, is setting up an iterative loop that's fast where you can create an idea while well, you put up the idea together, you create whatever it is you're creating, you launch it, 
you learn, and then you repeat. And that iterative loop, I think, is really the secret to building a, a successful product. And I think, you know, and speed is key. And I think, you know, if there's tactics that you can implement within the team to be able to reinforce that, you know, that attitude of it being okay to fail, I think is really important. And so I think a culture built around that where, you know, we know we're going to fail. It's okay. Everyone can just relax. And if anything, like celebrating the failures, you know, is it's easier said than done. But if you can do that, then that's like a real team culture that I think people want to be part of. And at the end of the day, you're going to get the best dog food that you're putting out. Yeah, absolutely. And then you could start to transition to that repeatable value exchange, that sweet spot that every startup's trying to hit. And just on a a final note here, Jordan, really generic question, but uh, one that I think is super important to answer and a good way to close out this podcast. What is the one thing you have noticed that all successful founders do when it comes to building products that people want? Yeah, I think it's a couple of things, but I think number one, knowing the industry cold. I think that, um, you know, given the choice between a team who, uh, you know, is really talented at building something versus a team that's, you know, maybe mediocre at building something, but knows the industry cold and is resourceful. I mean, me personally, I would take the resourceful team because they'll figure out a solution because a lot of times they, you know, have more tenacity. And I think that on that, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's got a quote along the lines of like, there's two ways to build a successful company. One is just focus on building the tallest building in town or, you know, destroying everyone else's building, kind of paraphrasing. But I think the learning from that is, you know, when you're building a product and when you're a startup, you're always going to hear about competitors. They're doing things in the same space and you're always going to get anxiety. and you know, it's that anxiety that ends up burning founders out. And, you know, it's the source of a lot of depression and a lot of conflict. And I think the best thing to do, honestly, is just focus on solving the customer problem and focus on your own startup and what you're building and try and block everything else out. I think and you need to be aware, obviously, of what your competitors are doing. But yeah, I just think it's so important to just like, relax, know that there's always going to be competitors. There's always going to be people with more money. There's always going to be people who are getting more traction, but just focus on what you're doing. Focus on your customers, focus on solving their problems. And, you know, and I think you'll be okay. Awesome. Jordan, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you being on the podcast today and all the best at uh, the adventure app. Yeah. Just as a final shout out, I think in terms of Dialpad, I mean, before I was introduced to Dialpad, I couldn't figure out why there wasn't a better solution out there for exactly what you guys do. And I think like we were kind of hacking together multiple different solutions together in terms of like a phone number, in terms of jumping on Google Hangouts, in terms of, you know, on the website, like using different products for chatbots, all sorts of different things. And like, for the longest time, I could never figure out like why has there never been a product out there that just aggregates this magically into one beautiful product that you know links with a CRM so that it you know it's one less thing that we need to sign up for because it's just one kind of service as opposed to multiple that we're hacking together. 
And then I discovered Dialpad, and I was just blown away at how awesome the product worked, how seamless it was. And yeah, I really think that you guys are are going to be uh, an amazing. Well, you're already an amazing company, but I just think that you guys are well positioned to become like one of the most important tools in like a tech sales book toolbox uh, that, that exists. So yeah, I'm just really proud of what you guys are doing and I just keep on doing it. Jordan, thanks. Love that. And any startups that are tuned in, dial pad for good. We're offering 10 free seats of our flagship products in talk and our AI enabled video conferencing software meetings. And all you have to do is hop over to our website at dialpad.com slash dialpad for good. And uh, Jordan, thanks again for the time. Keep us posted with everything happening at our Basel and uh, any cool things that might happen while you're there. And also in the links below, we're going to post a link to your website as well so people can check out your startup. Awesome. Yeah. And I've never seen so many concentrations of speedboats and sports cars than in Miami for Art Week. It's, it's incredible. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Sounds amazing. Enjoy the weather, Jordan, and uh, we'll chat with you again soon, hopefully. Awesome. Thanks. Talk to you soon.